Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we'll discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue, and finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This month's topic are various bioethical issues. This week's topic is vaccines and medical research. We have a special guest. Will you please introduce yourself? This is Ted Furton. I'm the Director of Publications at the National Catholic Bioethics Center and also an ethicist at this organization. Been here for 20 years, so I'm an old hand at this place. Happy to be on your program, Bob. Thank you. So, Ted, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Now, COVID-19 is a big topic right now, and people are trying to find a vaccine, ensuring that that vaccine is not developed using unethical lines, specifically those derived from aborted fetal tissue is a concern for a lot of Catholics. So can you educate us on what does that even mean? What is the actual connection between a vaccine someone gets today and its relationship to aborted fetal tissue? It's important to realize that this is an old problem and something that the church has thought about over the years beginning back, oh, I would say at least 10 years ago, it became prominent within uh, Catholic circles. There are a number of vaccines in common use that have this connection. And this COVID-19 possibility of, again, a new one along these lines is certainly worrisome. So people would like to head that off at the pass, as it were. But the challenge is that these cells are in such widespread use that the researchers pick them up automatically and start using them again. A little explanation as to what these are. The cell lines are really descendant cells, not the cells from a direct abortion. That is, an abortion took place in the past. Some of them go back 20, 30 years or more, and cells were taken from the fetus, cultured in a petri dish, caused to generate themselves in large quantities, And then when these lines continue to generate themselves over time, they're called a line. So cell line that's used today to make a particular vaccine, say it's COVID-19, is likely to have been in existence for several decades. Nonetheless, there's there's a connection there, and it is worrisome. That's actually fascinating. So it's not true that this is still being done today, that people are using aborted fetal tissue to develop new lines. It's just that they're using existing lines from decades ago. People are still using these kind of tissues to start new lines. I haven't heard of any new lines starting in quite a long time, although the whole area of embryonic stem cell research is is essentially a moral equivalent. You're taking embryos and starting lines from them. The lines that are in existence now, again, have been around for a long time. I'm not sure there's a pressing need at the moment for new lines, but I wouldn't put it past the researchers. Many of them do not have any concerns about the pro-life area, and they're always experimenting and trying things which would be immoral. Not all of them. In the area of COVID-19, there's probably maybe two dozen companies that are working with proper cell lines and proper starting tissues and then another 15 that are on the bad side, which are using these either old cell lines or perhaps experimenting with something new, I don't know. But there are both types out there. Certainly the Catholic community is encouraging researchers to use the good materials for the vaccine. Again, similar case with some commonly used vaccines that parents use with their children. 
The chickenpox vaccine does not have a good alternative. Other vaccines that are used in childhood diseases do. So you have to look around, and it, it is the wish of the Vatican that we inquire about the status of these vaccines and whenever it's available to use those that have no connection to abortion whatsoever. That's an important point. I'm a father. I have two young children myself. If you ask that question to your average medical practitioner who's giving your child a vaccine, do they even know the answer to that question typically, or do you really have to do your research? No, they don't. They will be surprised, and some will say, that can't be true, and others will investigate and say, well, I didn't know this. It is something that oftentimes they don't know about. So how is it that as a regular Catholic, the Vatican is suggesting we be educated on this matter? How do we find out whether a vaccine we're giving to our child or ourselves, right, has been derived illicitly? I'm going to recommend a good website uh, for you. Now, this is an organization called Children of God for Life, and they have a list of vaccines and whether they're good or bad and whether the bad ones have alternatives. I want to say, though, that we don't really endorse this organization. We don't endorse any organizations, but this is the best list that we have found on the Internet. Children of God for Life, is that it? This looks like it, yes. Okay, great. Okay, so you're not endorsing the organization specifically, but you know how to find that list. We'll go to vaccine. There we go, vaccine chart. There we go. So there's a list of all the different vaccines, and it says product name, manufacturer, fetal cell line, ethical version. Right there, if you're getting the mump shot, right, then you can actually ask, okay, are you giving me the MR vaccine, the EOLARX vaccine, and if so, can we get the Atenuvax version? There it is, right there on the chart. Okay, we'll put that up on our website, of course, catholiccincinnati.org slash being-pro-life. So this will be a fairly easy way to look up and see if you are getting a vaccine and you can request the ethical vaccine from your doctor or find out which one they're using. It looks like there's a few on here real quick that you said chicken box, you already mentioned that, chicken pox, acute respiratory disease, and there's a vaccine for severe kidney disease. There is no ethical version. So if there is no ethical version, is it ethical for a Catholic to use that vaccine? This was looked at by the Vatican back in 2008 in a document called Dignitas Personae in paragraph 35, which talks about using biological materials of illicit origin. And of course, the Vatican is morally concerned and strongly opposed to the use of any aborted fetal material or embryonic stem cells to produce cell lines or to be used in other types of experiments. It also recognizes that there are different degrees of responsibility for the wrongdoing that's happened here. The uh, researcher who was standing by when the abortion took place and took some cell tissue from the lung of the aborted fetus and then began the cell line, which is, this is how they did it. They had to be standing at the ready. He's obviously done something completely wrong. The cell line begins, then you have manufacturers and others who are using the cell line for their products. And again, that is something that shouldn't be happening. Morally produced cell lines should be used for all products in medicine. Then from there, you've got uh, the people who are marketing it. They're further removed from the original wrongdoing. And then finally, you've got the physician who is offering it and the parents, let's say, or adults 
who are uh, using it. Well, when there's no alternative, that's the difficult case. But the Vatican reflecting on this, recognizing that it is problematic, also understands that these are serious health matters. And we do have an obligation to care for our health. And of course, that extends to our loved ones as well. So recognizing that the moral fault really lies elsewhere, it essentially says that these can be used when there's no alternative, under protest, for the time being until such product becomes available that has no connection. While we're still on the topic of vaccines, back to COVID-19, so what, what's the Catholic Church doing right now to try to encourage and make sure that the vaccine that's developed is developed from ethical sources? Well, there are certain organizations, I'm not sure I could name anyone right now off the top of my head, that uh, are concerned about the moral aspects of things. There is an organization that is housed at the Catholic University of America, which is doing research on a non-compromised, let's put it that way, COVID-19 vaccine. But like any other research organization, they solicit funds and apply for grants and the like. So there are some good actors out there, and there are, of course, a number of companies that, whether by design or by chance, are also working on COVID-19 vaccines that have no connection to these problematic cell lines. So it is being done intentionally among Catholics, and also perhaps uh, just by chance, or maybe by encouragement uh, among some companies. I was simply unaware, believe it. I don't know if it's hard to believe or it's easy to believe. When my children were getting vaccinated when they were younger, and I did not ask. I didn't, I didn't know I needed to ask. I guess you were aware of this when you were a parent and you were getting your children vaccinated. Knowing what you know, what did you have to do to get your children vaccinated? All of my children were vaccinated with uh, these products. Some began before uh, I was aware of the problem uh, because I have five children and the oldest one is 30 now. So it's, it's been a long time in the making. But my uh, youngest daughter, she came on the scene, as it were, when the uh, chickenpox vaccine was on the market for the first time. And so I had to really seriously reflect on that. There's, this is the one that has no alternative. Now, all of my other children did not get the chickenpox vaccine because it just wasn't available then. I did decide not to give it to her. And she did come down with a case of chicken pox, which was difficult for her. So, you know, it's a mixed feeling on my part. I'm not sure I did the right thing or not. I, you know, I decided that because the others were that way, they didn't have the chicken pox vaccine, I'd do it with her. But I'm not sure that I needed to do that or it was the best decision. It was a difficult decision for me. I mean, uh, I remember growing up, I remember getting the chicken box <laughs> at the same time with all of my siblings. It was life, right? Now that there's a vaccine, we can save our children from that. It's generally considered, as you already mentioned, when there's nothing else available, it's okay to take care of your children's health, right? And your own health and use that vaccine. But this wasn't a situation of life and death. We have historically gotten through I'm sure there can be complications. I don't know much about chickenpox, except that it was very uncomfortable <laughs> for some time. But anyway, so I can understand how that could be something you have. Well, now, do you know as a doctor that, okay, these are the odds that this is going to be worse than just uncomfortable for a short period of time, and you have to struggle with that knowledge as well? Well, let me say, I'm not a physician. I'm an academic doctor, so okay. let's be clear about that. 
but uh, there, there are serious complications. They're rare, but they do happen from this disease and, and the others. Mumps, measles, rubella. Rubella is a particularly difficult one because it can harm unborn children when the mother becomes infected. So one of the things that does worry me particularly about some of the, I was going to say rebellion against the use of vaccines is, well, rubella is in a mix of measles and mumps put out again by Merck, which doesn't have an alternative. And typically the three are given together. So there are some who refuse to use that product. Now, unlike chickenpox, uh, rubella is, can be deadly. It seems a bit ironic that some would say, I'm going to make a pro-life stand, refuse to use this product, and then perhaps by chance cause the death of an unborn child who gets infected with the disease because he hasn't been vaccinated and he's transmitted it to a, a woman. One of the documents that was produced by the Vatican in this area by the Pontifical Academy for Life some time ago, this is in a previous pontificate, talks about uh, rubella in particular and is pretty harsh in its judgment of those who would refuse this particular product because of the risks they are subjecting others to within society. We do have a social obligation to others, you know, love others as you would love yourself. There's a, a mandate there for us to take care of our own health so that we don't transmit serious diseases to others or cause other people harm. Right. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So what are some other fairly common, right, research ethical issues related in this biomedical field that we might talk about? I know one of them actually is uh, stem cell research, right? That came up, that became quite the thing under the Bush administration, understanding the difference between, of course, adult derived stem cells and embryonic stem cells. Is that still an issue today? And what, what can you tell us about that issue today? The political scene has changed considerably since the days of George Bush. His decision was controversial because it seemed like the key distinction in his mind was that after a certain date, no more of these cells could be funded by the federal government. It seems somewhat arbitrary to have a, just a, a timestamp as the moral difference between good and bad. But in any case, his Restrictions on federal funding was followed by the Obama administration, which opened the door to anything and everything. We are back under the Trump administration to a, a restrictive environment, but still uh, private companies can make use of embryonic stem cells uh, in their research, and they continue to do so. It's interesting because there's not been a lot of success with embryonic stem cells. It's been hugely expensive. We've also discovered other cells, pluripotent stem cells, which have the same properties as the embryonic, but don't have the same moral concerns because they are cells taken from an, a, an adult, I guess you'd say, you could also say from a child, but they are cells from a, a, not an embryo, a born person, and they're kind of regressed. You, you back them up to an earlier primitive state, but they never get to the pure embryonic state. So these have many of the same properties and are working uh, quite well, and there have been important advances in this line of research. So I remember at the time, because I was following it a lot under the Bush and then the Obama administrations that were always heard that there had been, and you just said it just now again, 
a lot of success with what we call adult, but anyway, I guess a developed human being stem cells that you can you extract without killing someone, and then the embryonic stem cells, and they had not been successful at all. Now, so is that is that still true, or there has been a little bit of success with embryonic stem cell research, but just not nearly as much? Well, I'd have to take a look and see on that kind of a question. As uh, we like to say here, if you throw enough money at a problem, you're likely to have some success at some point. I would expect that there has been some research progress in this area, but the important thing is whether it attracts business interests and becomes kind of institutionalized. I don't know how much of that has happened. I'd have to really do some research to know how far along the embryonic is, but there have been good progress in the area of stem cell research generally, including the the good side of it, and I think more often the good side of it because it's simply easier to do and less expensive and not controversial from a moral perspective. It might be helpful for the audience members to even understand why it is that embryonic stem research is unethical, if you could just quickly brief it. What, what is that difference and why is it problematic? The embryonic stem cells are embryos that are left over typically from in vitro fertilization attempts. So it's connected to that whole industry, which of course the church rejects as well. It's not the natural place of human life coming into being. They're just there vulnerable and as a kind of prize that the scientists can take for themselves and make use of for their own purposes, which itself shows why IVF is problematic. But to get an embryonic stem cell, what you have to do is is gut an embryo. There's a a sac inside, which is essentially the trophoblast and the fetus at a very early stage, just a group of cells, but it's split apart and those inner cells are taken and put into a Petri dish, just as they will do for other cell lines cause to grow and multiply. And as these passages, they call them, remultiplications occur, it becomes a cell line. And then it's used in various products for cures or at least experiments on curing diseases. The problem is, of course, that you have to kill an embryo to get an embryonic stem cell. Is it possible to get an embryonic stem cell somehow, like from a miscarriage or in some in illicit way, but that just wouldn't practically ever be done? It is possible, yes. I mean, that could be done from a moral perspective. Any person, uh, say uh, a family that's lost a a child at a very early age can donate the organs with proper consent for good purposes, and the same thing could happen for a miscarriage. So yes, that, that could be done, and it could be done probably more likely not to produce an embryonic stem cell line because even a miscarriage takes place later in a pregnancy than what an IVF lab has at its disposal. A more of a standard or old-fashioned cell line could certainly be produced. The earliest cell lines that were produced uh, back uh, some decades ago, if they had taken material from a miscarriage, it'd be perfectly fine. No one would be complaining about it because so long as proper informed consent is given, that's a legitimate source for these type of cell lines and products. So we talked a lot about vaccines, a little bit about stem cell research. What are some other big areas of unethical research that Catholics need to be aware of? Of course, we've got the whole abortion industry in this country, which is 
strongly protected by one of the two political parties. And there's been recent exposés by Dan DeLayden and others showing that they've been selling fetal aborted tissue. Planned Parenthood just got like a $2.1 million judgment against DeLayden's organization. So we've got some real high-level political battles with a lot of money at stake uh, over the whole abortion industry. So that's certainly one of the big areas. I have seen brochures put out by people who are promoting this kind of thing. They're kind of discreet. You don't see them very often openly shown, but giving them to women who are going to have abortions and saying, well, look, you can get some good out of this, even though you're having an abortion. You know, just call this number and we'll, we'll take tissues and we'll try to use them for a good medical research. Of course, that's completely wrong. No woman should ever agree to do that. But it gives you a, a sign and indication of how these researchers really are amoral. They're just anything they can get their hands on. In fact, the order lists that are put before Planned Parenthood actually ask for different body parts. And they will change the abortion procedure to make sure that they get whole organs when they remove the child through uh, the abortion process. That expose has been around for, it started many years ago, and he is still fighting those, those battles of being sued and resued uh, for all kinds of issues. It's been very sad how much they've been fighting him on these issues. He's still in the news that we can look into that. Other issues you want to, you want to bring up on this topic today? And there's a related issue of people who are just anti-vaxxers they get lumped in sometimes with people who have genuine pro-life concerns about the source of these vaccines. We don't have any support for the anti-vaxxers. So there's, there's a lot of crazy theories about children getting autism or other things. That's the primary one I've heard about, people thinking there's a connection between autism and vaccines. But you're saying that you're not aware of any clear research that says that. No. No, I'm, I'm not, Bob. We don't see anything like that. There was an article, this goes back again decades, in the Lancet, the British journal, that uh, was written by a fraudster, I guess you'd say, who started this whole hoax. People believed it for some years. That article is still sometimes passed around. It has been disowned by the Lancet, but it's a good example of how sometimes journals publish things that take on a life of their own, even by not properly vetting them, they end up creating myths about these products. Now, it is true that every vaccine has a certain incidence of bad effects, and some of them can be severe. Now, they are uh, small in number, but there's no question that the use of vaccines has drastically reduced the epidemics that used to happen here in this country and across the world, some, some poorer countries still face these. We've lost our memory of these events and how devastating they were and how pleased we were by men like Dr. Jonas Salk, who gave us the polio vaccine. These were incredible miracle drugs and people were ready and willing to take whatever risk they needed in order to have the chance to avoid the devastating effects. So, we can't forget how important vaccination is. It's a very important part of public health. This health crisis written right now, right, should be a reminder that if, if nobody gets vaccinated for things that we considered eradicated today, then it becomes a gigantic problem. 
there is a very small risk that an individual might have a a poor complication from some vaccines, but we consider that a worthwhile risk given the societal good. And it's unfortunate that there are people who who object to vaccines for not very good reasons are going to get lumped in the same category as someone who might object to a particular vaccine because of an ethical reasons. And for all, all, that's just one of those crazy people that doesn't like vaccines. And that's, and that's not the situation. Right. And one important point to make here, Bob, is that, you know, the medical community is aware uh, of the concerns of the pro-life community in this area. I used to regularly go to science conferences. I hadn't been to any in a couple of years on this, in this area. And I would point out to be question and answer period, have a chance to talk to the scientists on the panel say, hey, you know, there's a lot of people out here who are concerned about you know, producing products like the varicella vaccine for chickenpox that have this connection to these problematic cell lines. And they're all very gracious to say, oh, yes, yes, that's a very good point. We really have to stop doing this. But it doesn't change. I mean, it's, it's just words. So they are uh, shooting themselves in the foot by saying here, let's, let's say they have a COVID-19 vaccine and it's used, it uses one of these problematic cell lines. They're gonna to come to the public and say, everyone needs to get vaccinated, every single person. We all have to pitch in together and do this. Well, there's gonna be a group of the population that says, I don't care if it has any kind of connection with these cell lines, I'm not gonna do it. Now, that wouldn't be my view. I think that would be the wrong thing to do. I don't think the connection there is strong enough to justify that kind of action. The threat, is significant enough and our duty to the rest of society that I think we have a moral obligation to use that product despite the problematic connection. But I know there's going to be some who say, no, I'm not going to do it. And if the research community would just come forward and say, hey, you know, here's a perfectly clean, no problematic vaccine, they would get much higher rates of use, but they just don't seem to get that. So, of course, then when, when things are being developed at the same time, but if the one to get there first, shall we say, right, just it happens to be from unethical sources, I suppose it could be a valid argument to say, I don't want to use that in, in the hopes that within a short amount of time, at this point, you could do the same thing from an ethical source. Do you have any knowledge of the way things work, that that's not reasonable? Whoever wins is going to win, and that's going to be the end of it, right? Or you could wait in that situation and say, well, it's reasonable to think that something could be developed still in a short amount of time. I think that we're going to see strong pressure from the healthcare community, public health officials to use the first product that becomes available. Now, it's an open question as to whether it will be effective. Usually these things take years to develop and to be tested for safety. We're going to have to wait and see if, if there's some clear-cut case where here is a product which is, we've tried it on 50, 60, 100, 1,000 people, and so it's working tremendously well. That would be a very strong incentive for making use of it. If it's only half effective or it works sometimes but not all the time or it causes serious side effects, that's a whole different situation. I don't think we'll see the kind of public health pressure that we would if it's a clear-cut case. I don't think there's going to be the usual business competition here where one company gets the patent and closes everyone else out because it is such a serious public health issue. I don't think the government will allow that kind of 
monopolizing of the market. So I think you will find other products being tested and developed, and there could very well be one that occurs later or even very close to the same time. So you're from the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you what you do and show your website or anything like that to our listeners? The National Catholic Bioethics Center, it's www.ncbcenter.org. We're really the go-to place for Catholics who are interested in issues in bioethics or have questions about what it means to live a moral life in terms of medicine and proper health care. One of the most unique things about our organization is that we have a consultation line. Anybody with a moral question connected to medicine is free to call us or send us an email. We do consultation services, and we, uh, we answer those questions for our calls. We get many in the area of end-of-life care, nutrition and hydration, do not resuscitate orders, patients at the end of life who are struggling with pain and the like. So that's a great service that we do to the, the public, the Catholic layperson. My own area is in publications, so I'm in charge of the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. This is a quarterly journal for scholars, and also I'm in charge of Ethics and Medics, which is a monthly bulletin. It's a somewhat down-to-earth approach to the same sorts of questions, more for the general reader. We have a Department of Education that does a certification program in bioethics. We have podcasts. We have public policy statements. We have many resources that we post on our websites. All right, terrific. So I really appreciate you taking the time to discuss vaccines and other ethically problematic biomedical research today. I'm sure we all learned a lot. So thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it being here. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website, view all the links talked about in this episode at www.catholiccincinnati.org slash being-pro-life. Thank you again for joining with us today, and I look forward to being with you next time. 